I, I'll beat around. I won't beat around the bush, but Kane Hodder. Kane Hodder was Jason for at least a decade, more than a decade or so. And then right as Freddy vs. Jason came into fruition and starts going into production, they decide not to use Kane Hodder as Jason, which is it's, which caused a big uproar with a lot of fans. Uh, from your time as a executive there, what was factual and what was like the rumored bullshit about why New Line Cinema decided not to use Kane Hodder. The only, so yeah, like the only rumored bullshit thing that sticks out, and it's weird because like I never met Kane until years after the fact and then quite liked him when I interacted. We actually had coffee one day. He was a nice guy. Um, the, the, if I'm not mistaken, and I, and I, by the way, I could be wrong and she may have actually said this, uh, but if she said it, it was total executive speak, and I think she'd acknowledge that now. But there was like a quote that I think might have gotten attributed to Stokely about wanting someone with sensitive eyes or some sort of shit. Yeah. Okay, I have no idea where... I'm not saying it did not run, and I, it wouldn't stun me if it did, because I could see that being executive kind of bullshit. Yeah. But like, that's, that's certainly no reason why anybody was recast. So that's the one... Yeah that I always remember is like sensitive eyes. I, but it may have just been, a, if it did exist, cause someone's probably gonna hear this quick. No, it was said in you know, variety, da, 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 da. Uh, um, then it would have been bullshit in that. Cause really like the Kane stuff came down to the idea of wanting to go back to the old school version of Jason really yeah. primarily. Um, and that the Kane version First of all, you know, like, you got to remember that, you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but, like, it was always different guys over the years, obviously. Kane yeah. then, you know, found it and had a great run with it, made a great niche. But by the time he was done, they had gone to space. They had, yeah. His mask didn't exist. His mask was shrunk down to basically part of his eyepiece. And so, uh, and also, like, it became, it was a burlier Jason. Right. And so a lot of the thinking was trying to go back to the, the mix really was four and six. Yeah. Which, uh, which are not coincidentally my two favorite uh, of the series, but also just in terms of trying to go back to having a clean full mask for Freddie to fuck up. Yeah. Also having a bit of a physical difference in terms of having a, you know, because uh, by that point, Kane was pretty burly. It would have been, uh, you know, we something, again, more akin to, uh, C.J. Graham was six. He wasn't four. Ted, um, what's the guy's name in four that played him? I'm Ted playing. White. Ted White, thank you. A bit more to those. It was C.J. Graham in six, right? Yeah. Good, I'm glad there. You know, my bona fides are legitimate. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I used to know them all. I've smoked that away over college. But um, uh, so that was really the driving. And, and oddly enough, like to the, to, the, to the eyes thing, like if that was said, it's a shame because this was the more legitimate reason and at least would have been honest. Yeah. Uh, and so I think in a lot of ways that there's no question, like there's no good way to handle something like that. I don't think there's a way you could have done it where fans would have been like, okay, uh, in part. And by the way, to his credit, because Kane was beating the drum on the convention scene for years. Like, I have a lot of respect for him. I like him a lot. Uh, and we talked about maybe doing something together at one point. 
Um, hmm. But really, it's it was much more about trying to go back to the physical and design kind of look of four and six, which I don't think any Jason fan that's honest would disagree is different from games. Yeah. Like fundamentally different. Yeah, because fundamentally for like Jason, the final chapter is almost to the point of being dead without really being dead. He's like a sense of like half alive. He's essentially right. and then Jason lives is he's, he's pretty much like a zombie. So yeah. I can I can understand going to the production saying we want a different Jason more keen to you know part four or part. It was six. honestly a throwback. It was VHS Jason more so than DVD Jason. Now, with uh, that Jason out of the way and Robert England still being essentially Freddy Krueger, how did the writing of, okay, you know, Freddy, before Freddy vs. Jason, there was New Nightmare. New Nightmare isn't really canonically uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street film. It's a Nightmare on Elm Street film, but it's more along the lines of... Uh, uh, very, very ahead of its time. Yeah, very ahead of its time, very Scream-like setting especially you it was know, screen before screen yeah but canically audiences audiences nor the studio were necessarily ready or understood how to sell that oh yeah yeah and I got, I got to know wes a little bit not great but enough you know chad met a, met a few times quite liked him and he was clearly very he and bob had, had a complicated relationship by that point oh, he yeah. was very proud of that movie but with freddie the last and it goes into the next question I have with Freddy is this that with Spring and especially with Springwood, Springwood at the last film, which was Freddy Dead, it was essentially a dead town. But then if you look at the timeline, the timeline is supposed to be like, oh, it's 10 years from now. From yeah, now. I, know, I mean, Freddy's yeah. dead, the spring, and I love DeLuca, he's a friend of mine. I don't get, I, they were trying to do Twin Peaks, which not really, because I love Twin Peaks and it's yeah. not the same thing. Um, um, I, don't love the execution of the town in Freddy's Dead. And so again, it's not an accident that we tried to go back to, you're talking about Hypnosil. Yeah. One of Shannon and Swift, like they understood, it was very interesting because to their credit, and I will give myself a little credit in terms of on the inside, like the push to understand that you had to, because we're all fans, like, Oh, we want a little continuity. It's when, when you have executives that come in that think they're bigger than the shit and they don't go, oh, who cares about continuity? No, we want a little of the, we like seeing in Friday 13th too, Alice or remember get fucking killed at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Like I remember being so upset as a kid in Elm Street 4 when Joey and Kincaid died because I loved them in Dream Warriors. Uh, I'm pissed he didn't get Alice. I killed Alice in the comics eventually for that reason. Uh, not because I was pissed, but because that was the tradition. Yeah, and she, she was the only one who really dodged it. Because, like, if Nancy couldn't dodge it, you shouldn't be able to. But anyway, um, I what was the point of the quote? Oh, so all I was going to say is as, as, back stuff in the same way, and then this goes back to the Kane thing, and the it wasn't exclusive to Jason either. In Freddie's case, which obviously it's Robert, it can't yeah. be anybody else, should it? Um, but makeup wise, the the end of Robert's run before FEJ they had gone back to was a David Miller and I was a bigger fan of the Kevin Yeager stuff yeah and I always pushed very early on before I was ever an executive and I would talk to Stokely and and you know DeLuca and and Stokely and Toby had really given me the entree to get involved before I was ever even officially promoted 
Um, that was one of my big things too, was like go back to closer to Kevin Yeager and that style. Uh, Freddie in like, I remember hate, uh, Dream Child, Freddie's makeup I think just looks cheesy and rubbery. Um, and I always found his look in the original looks great. And I know that's more of like two, three, four. Those, again, those co commercially most successful, the ones that were the VHS era kind yeah. of. Yeah. That was very much what we always tried to go for. And you could tell that during the time of, say, Freddy, not Freddy, well, Freddy's Dead and also Dream Child, they were also doing this, the uh, TV series at the same time. So yeah, it, it, it was a, it, it's a very difficult time to do essentially how do you create uh, an iconic look like Freddy Krueger while on the same side we're doing it on the small screen for like almost for like every single week or so. I remember, like, I remember the series actually him looking better than he does in the later movies. But to be frank, I haven't watched the series and since it first ran. My memory of the series, the first episode, the scariest thing of the entire series was the commercial for Halloween 4. Uh, and I remember that, like, they set up the twins who eventually they kill off one of them. He gets one eventually in the series. Well, like, the series was sort of whatever. It was fine. He was yeah. different. Uh, but yeah, back, back to my original question, which was about Springboard. How, how was it? And this was what you were just saying before, how Springboard and Freddy's Dead is clearly a twin, a twin Peaks style uh, of town, you know, barring the fact that, you know, Roseanne and Tom are all living there for some reason. And then you get to Freddy vs. Jason, where it literally switches from Twin Peaks to essentially an, an X-Files type of town, where it's like it has the same type of things where you wouldn't suspect like a Mulder and Scully would just be like rolling through the town uh, talking about like what's happening with these, you know, weird killings. I, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know that I would go X-Files. I mean, it, again, it's just trying to get back to basics a little bit. You know, Springwood in the original movie uh, and really even in through the sea, like, it was kind of small town America. It was a town in like the valley, basically here or whatever, right? And and the, uh, I think the aberration is more Freddy's dead than anything here. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like that was a shot they took. It didn't really work. I don't think anybody necessarily would disagree with that. And like, it wasn't something anybody I think ever felt like. Like I don't remember even being continued in any of the drafts prior of the ten years. I don't remember that thread ever really being picked up. You might remember, I don't. So uh, one of those things. Yeah, I, I honestly, if any of the drafts that, that, that happen to come out, if I'm trying to remember from Slash of Titans, uh, I think any of the drafts kind of do pick up on that, but at the same time, they kind of like uh, try to make it in between both Dream Child and Freddy's Dead. So there's like this weird like middle period. I don't of, remember that, really? Yeah. Continuity-wise, set in between. I, I don't know. I've, they've bored at this point. I don't really remember that, but I will trust your judge, judgment on that. I will, I will, I, I, I will I, defer to you. I remember there was a Jacob thing, but maybe Jacob, this was like an older Jacob and stuff like that, too. So it was like... There was definitely a version that had Stephanie and Jacob, but they were, I think, older at that point, if I recall. Oh, okay. Uh, but, yeah. It's definitely a weird notion to go where you want to go back to basis for a film and Freddy versus Jason is a very back to basis um, uh, front on both Freddy and Jason especially on especially Freddy where it, it actually does show like Freddy's it, it does show 
Freddy hasn't really lost his edge, so to speak, because in previous films, he was more played up to be a very funny character, you know, the fun Freddy thing, where it's like, oh, you kind of forget that this guy has murdered children in the past. And then suddenly at the start of at the start of Freddy vs. Jason, you get the sensation of, oh, this is Freddy Krueger. We are supposed to be fearing this guy. And and God bless Robert England, you know, he still brings that terrifying quality to being Freddy Krueger in that film. The same way um Ken Kersinger makes Jason compared to where you what where you just said before, where where Jason is clearly a part four, part six quite jason where he is like a murderous machine but he is a murderous machine based on his mother's love and also the fact that he's in a very different place like both uh physically and spiritually spiritually too and we actually we did try to go it was a betsy russell right we did yeah. we, tried, we tried to go get her to come in and actually do it and i'm trying to remember what the deal was there that's why she didn't end up i might have been even just a money thing but we did try to have her come back and play it hmm. which would have been which would have been very cool yeah, and, and it'd be like very nice to tie up every other things, but it, it's much, I, I imagine it's much more easier. Well, I went, well, yeah, I imagine it's much more easier to do this in a comic book than it is on a production scale where it's like, oh, it's like I gotta figure out all these people's time frames, you know. It's yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. But that she yeah. wasn't like people were beating with, with with love to her. She's great. It's not like she was, I think it was more like, Oh, at my age, if you want me to come out for this, you got to pay me. And it wasn't something they were going to do. I, I don't remember that. Don't quote me entirely on that. I don't know. No, we did try to get her. Now, back to casting. Uh, I know a little bit of the fact that Will was originally played by Brad Redfro. Yes. Yes. Re re rest in peace. But he was originally there for at least maybe a week or two or he was early, early in production before he was uh unfortunately yeah, it was pretty fast it was, yeah, it was a pre he, now he prep yeah we sort of there were sort of uh yeah what was now was he the rumor is that he was like not i don't know if he was difficult to work with or something to that effect but what was the factual thing and what was the rumored thing that was like essentially what people had believed to be the reason why he was essentially I, mean, I, I can't tell you what was going on in his personal life. He just yeah. didn't he didn't look good. I don't think he was well. And there's you know, you know no yeah. need to, he's no longer with us, so no need to dwell on that. Uh yeah. obviously, you know, he, he was a talented young actor. Uh it would have been, I think the obvious idea was that that was at the time kind of a coup because he was still an interesting actor. Yeah. Um and ultimately you know, I just he wasn't in a place where it was going to work. Uh, and so the right move was made. And I think in hindsight, particularly as you look at the career that Jason has built for himself, and I've kept in touch with Jason a bit over the years, um, you know, it's kind of a nice element of the film is that you sort of launch this guy who's really built a very nice career for himself. Uh, and I, I remember very fondly uh, being at that premiere and watching he and his father, the, the late, great John Ritter, who if you're yeah. too young and don't know John Ritter's work, John Ritter really, you know, and did plenty of movies, but really one of the great television performers of all, like oh, really yeah. a physical comedian, innately likable. Um, John Ritter was, uh, there's no, I know you never heard a bad word about John Ritter. Um, so it was a lot of fun to watch the two of them. And then obviously John passed away, not, not that long right after. Yeah. But to let him, experienced that and I had dinner with Jason some years ago at this point but uh and we remember just talking about it, it was a very special thing to get to see so, so 
it, it you know it's a shame obviously and clearly you know brad had his demons um yeah. but it worked out in a way that it was probably supposed to work out and i'm you know i think it's a uh the the silver lining in certain ways. yeah now the last of the casting that i want to see if this was ruined or not but and this relates back to your wrestling thing was was that supposedly Ray Mysterio Jr. plays Freddy Krueger for a stunt. Is what? that true now? What? Yes. yes. No, I've never heard that. That apparently that's been the the, the what? They, what? Yes. What stunt? I don't recall him hitting a Hurricane Rana. Well, apparently it's either like a stunt. Jason. He does drop a bionic elbow. That was intentional. <laughs> that, <laughs> that was more dusty, baby, more than the Ray Mysterio, if you will. But apparently, from what I can gather, it's either in when Freddy oh. is jumping out of the water to attack Lori in his. <laughs> no, yes. I was there for that. No, if 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 that was Ray Ray and I didn't notice it at the time, then I clearly need to get my eyes checked because I worked with the guy for several years and love him. I, but, know, I know him pretty the, well. The other thing is that he was either a stunt double during the border room brawl scene. Which makes me. What was Ray doing in Vancouver at that point? You know, it's possible it was him. It's possible it wasn't him. It's. I don't. I mean, I have to think by this point that would have been brought to my attention <laughs> in the existing connection, and I've seen him since the movie. So I feel like that. I saw him as a WWE house show backstage. I chatted with him for a little bit uh, years ago, and so I, I no, 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 no. So. Entertaining, sir. I, by the way, loved working with him. Great dude, super talented performer. Oh, yeah, but, but especially uh, another guy like John Ritter that you'll never hear anybody say a bad thing about. Yeah, Ray Mysterio growing up was an idol, especially you know, being like a teenager and being a very energetic teenager. You know, it, it's very easy to fall back on like a Ray Mysterio type of uh, wrestler. He's the most rootable, he's one of the greatest characters for young people, particularly ever. But he 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 translated. He crossed all borders. Not a huge fan. Great, great movie. Now, uh, out of the casting, yeah, done with the casting. Now, uh, was there? Now, actually, you are aware that the original choice to play Jason was Psychosis. Really? No. Oh. <laughs> no, we wanted we wanted Super Cala. Ah, okay. <laughs> Pero Pero Aguaya. That's right. That's a deep cut for you, Lucha fans. <laughs> Not that deep a cut, but still, go ahead. Now, back to uh, Freddy versus Jason, or with the lineage that Freddy versus Jason, I mean, Freddy and Jason had, did you have any problems with the MPAA going forward, especially when you were doing like a final cut? Where it's like, oh. No, not that I remember. Uh, you know, the only thing I think when you look back at it is obviously like, and I don't remember, it wasn't Shannon and Swift, it may have been a Goyer line. I don't think it was that, but obviously you wouldn't have the Kelly Rowland dropping the F-bomb. Yeah, yeah. But like, no, I don't think so. Uh, not that I really remember. Speaking of David Goyer, uh, how did David Goyer get attached to I don't know what uh, what he do. Uh, not ghostwrite, but he essentially did like a script doctor, right? Added a few yeah, right. yeah, this is not, not uncommon. And we knew like, we there were, it's interesting. Like, particularly, like, he did a little bit of work. And if you go watch that opening scene, the opening scene, that's written by myself and actually Toby Emmerich did a little bit on that. 
Uh, Toby Emmerich's uh, He'll Get the Blood, but I'll Get the Glory. That was his big thing. Oh, nice. Um, Which is an awesome line, by the way. Yeah, it's a good line. Uh, the, the, but the, my, the whole, that, that Springwood Slasher, that's what they call me. They also let me pick the flashback scenes, which as a fan was awesome uh, to get to do. Um, but so Goyer came in and he had, you know, obviously done a ton in the genre, done a ton with New Line previously. Yeah. Um, you had had Blade 3 and all that stuff going on at the same time. So you knew that was coming. Uh, you would just, Blade 2 had just been successful. Um, and in general, Oh, you know, he had also, he and Stokely were close for a period. So it just, uh, you know, it was one of those things, a lot of times when you're going to hire someone to do some script doctoring or bring somebody in on a weekly or whatever. Uh, and and it's, it's kind of an indictment of the industry in a certain way. Like it's about like comfort. And so, oh, okay, I'm comfy. You know, because you just don't know that the work's going to turn out. Uh, someone could always bomb something, but it's, it's, in his case, they were like, if, from Bob and Toby and so there's okay, we're well, a comfort level. And so it was a very natural thing to go and do. And so they went off and did it, you know, so that's that, not nothing remotely unusual about it. Pretty typical, in fact. Now, I've always heard about like script doctoring or just like not necessarily ghost writing a script, but from a Ghostwriting is the wrong term. Script doctoring is really oh, okay. Script doctoring. Okay. For some reason, I always think it's writing more on like a book. Ah, okay. I mean, you can look at like supposedly William Goldman technically ghost wrote Goodwill Hunting. That's always been the rumor. Well, in that case, you could probably do it. But generally, like for what someone like what Goyer was brought in, that's really script doctoring. It's a, it's okay. a weekly, it's a rewrite. It's a weekly. It might be on a, you know, you might have a, uh, there's a couple ways you can do that deal, but a lot of times it'll be a weekly. Now, uh, from your experience, uh, has script writing been a good profession to do, especially if you're a screenwriter? No, I don't see why anybody in the world would want. I mean, like that's like yeah, screenwriter and and like actress, actor too, but actress is worse because of just the industry. Yeah, in terms of the, the, some of the, the obvious issues. Uh, no, you're like you're at the bottom of the. Tip. It's worse than ever, I would argue. If you if you if you at a high level working, it's great. You're going to be paid a shitload of money. But like, yeah. No, no, no. The target's gotten smaller than ever. The ability to make original stuff. You're much better working in television, frankly, at that point. Um, hmm. It's much more of a writer's medium. Um, but no, I don't say, I'm, not, I'm very bearish in general on a lot of the, the industry. Uh, but certainly, like, I don't know. Ask any writer, they'll tell you. It's, you're asked to do more free work than ever. Yeah. Uh, you're asked. So, no, I would say, unless you're in that rarefied era. Yeah, I, I know at least several screenwriters or at least several friends of mine who are screenwriters or something like that. And they do want to like uh, when, you know, well, I get paid and stuff like that, too. So I imagine even if you are like a script doctor or something like that, it's like a different. Uh, you're not being if you're a script doctor, you're, you're at a, a different level than someone. Is, but you know what I mean? They're bringing you in because you've already delivered on multiple stuff that's been made. Ah, OK. They're so not, not, they're not plucking someone off the street. Now, uh, the addition to Goyer in, in the script, uh, was that just a thing to pad out the time? Or was that just to say, hey, uh, Shannon and Swift nailed the script, but we needed to do a little extra rewrites? Just no, no, it's, it's, it's not about, it's just about sometimes you want a fresh voice, sometimes you want, you know what I mean? It's, we had um, executive changeover, they want to put their own fingerprints on, there's a variety of reasons, but no. Oh, okay. It's only not about padding time. Uh, 
It's amazing. I have a lot of these questions about Freddie versus Jason, but I'm trying to condense it into like a very singular thing. So I don't like, like, I don't have like a whole hour just talking about Freddie versus Jason. Again, uh, oh, so I don't know if you mentioned this the last episode, but you may have mentioned this before. I'm, I'm not sure, but Freddie versus Jason holds a very special uh, place for me because that was the one, that was the first radar movie I saw in theaters. Two, it, premiered the same weekend as the New York... I mean, I was about to say the New York Black. Well, it is. it was like the New York Black. It was. Black. No, it absolutely yeah. was. The gigantic East Coast... Uh, Blackout. Which uh, ended up being a benefit to us. Because hmm. uh, I remember very vividly watching the HBO making of a Freddy vs. Jason, and I forgot what was happening, but I think it was Robert England in like a telephone booth, because I think that's how they talked to... Uh, uh, I think that was like the catch of the HBO making ofs is that they had the actors talking to a phone booth over someone else and all that stuff. And as he was talking about the film, the entire, like everything just started, like everything just went like, oh, you know, everything just shut off. I'm like, what happened? And sure enough, we find out there was a blackout uh, over the entire East Coast. Uh, from a business standpoint, was the opening weekend hurt because of that or but or was no, it helped, helped tremendously because theaters had power theaters had air conditioning oh and people were gave, gave people a place to go i think it absolutely helped us unquestionably because i remember there was actually a uh, i since i am also part of like the theater industry well i don't want to say theater industry but like the theater profession you know, that's my passion. Uh, and a couple of years ago, there was a brownout in Midtown. And sure enough, it was like the same thing where a lot of the theaters were essentially yeah, like. I remember, I actually remember this. But yeah, that's yeah. They have, they have a, a lot the of theaters. They're yeah. one of the places uniquely set up for this. But also the fact that, you know, uh, th and this also shows you how powerful Disney is, but Disney's, a couple of the, the Disney uh, productions were affected and. A lot, and one of my coworkers was saying, well, the moment Disney decides not to do a show during a black, you know, blackout or brownout, that's the end of that day for us. And sure enough, the moment we heard Disney was shutting down some of the productions, we knew that like all the other productions that were affected on that, like, like, like literally Oklahoma was affected. Wicked was affected. Uh, many other like Hadestown was affected, like all these other things that were essentially affected on that like i don't want to say like grid but, yeah, but that's broad, broadway is different than a movie that's oh, the yeah. thing the broadway is a, a movie theater and a broadway theater are just completely different animals and, oh yeah definitely and a power outage affects them in fundamentally different ways a movie theater can survive this and thrive in a way that a broadway theater could not so i think there's a fundamental difference in terms of like you know uh you know, the movie is literally, it's the theater, it's there. You've got everything. It's just like, as long as you have your generator there, there's not a single additional thing that's different about your business. Whereas in a theater theater, get past makeup, sound, you just, it's its the, yes, if you have, it's just the, the, the moving pieces comparatively, it's just, it's a, a thousand moving pieces compared to like three. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh... But it, it's just how like these two things happen to connect is like that. That's the thing about both. And that's the thing about entertainment is that it's a very small, it's it's a small world, but it's also very vast. So it's a lot of things that somehow interconnect for one mm -hmm. each other. Or that's just how my mind is. <laughs> so it's just how you know. 
it's just how you know one thing could lead to another thing and somehow relates back to another thing that I, that I saw or witnessed. Uh, but yeah, it's a very Buddhist Zen approach. I can respect it. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, back to Freddie Prince Jason for the most part. Uh, now you mentioned in the previous episode that the sequel was supposed to be Freddie versus Jason versus Zass, which didn't go forward because of either just general no, sense we, could, we, could, we could get a deal done. Yeah, just a general we sense of just, We could get a deal done. Yeah. We tried for two years. We made all sorts of unique offers. There was, you know, we did the dance uh, at great length uh, and just ultimately could get a deal done, but tried hard. Now, do you think the reason why the deal couldn't be done was because of just rights issues? Because, you know, ask. No. no, 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 no. They wanted to do it. Well, sure. They were interested in doing it. Uh, it's simply, there was some existing drama between Bob and the Sam and Rob and Bruce Camp from the original Evil Dead going way. Oh, back. right. Yeah. Because the original Evil Dead was released by New Line Cinema. But not, but not to the extent that like, or just you know, they, they weren't interested in a deal. Uh, one of the biggest pieces of bullshit is this idea that like, we walked away because Ash wasn't going to win. That's insane. Ash was always going to win. At this point, people can read the proposal I originally put out to get New Line to do this. And it was clear from that that Ash, Ash, Ash was going to win. And like literally the first time I took Bruce to Chaya before I proposed it, because I didn't propose it until I got him interested, he knew Ash was going to win. So I have no oh, yeah. idea where that's coming from. Uh, like, that's been clearly, clearly debunked at this point in terms of the fact. But like, so anyway, um, let, me, oh, let me finish real quick. So basically, uh, no, the only, we, we basically, you had had some pre-existing issues, but they were not debilitating, but they were in a, it put us in a situation where Sam and Rob and company, you know, they wanted to be aggressive and, uh, as a way maybe to make good, et cetera. And we offered them to split territories, all sorts of really unique stuff that you wouldn't ordinarily do at a deal-making level. And just over a couple of years, couldn't get it done. And I think hmm. that a lot of it was that Rob and Sam felt like ultimately there was more money for them in remaking it eventually. I yeah. don't agree with that. I don't think that's the case. I think as we've seen just by virtue of the fact that Freddie Jason Ash is still talked, I still, I mean, I get asked about it all the time still. Uh, clearly suggests that at a licensing and merchandising level alone, the three of them on a bunch of product probably would have made a lot of money. Uh, but you know, is what it is. I do. The, I'm very flattered about the fact that, like, I get sent at least a couple times a year. A friend of mine will send me a thing from, like, hey, this website or this whatever is doing the you know top ten movies that never were, that almost were, or that like that. Kind of, and we're always on it. It's hilarious. We're always on it. So now, it is you know, what it is. Yeah, it, it is what it is, and sometimes that's just the the natural state of things. But why, why was it Freddy versus Jason versus Ass? Aside from the fact that oh, it's going to be you know Bruce Campbell against you know Robert England, Freddy, and then Jason Voorhees. Uh, was it just the the like what brings Ash to the table essentially uh, compared to Freddie and Jason? Because Freddie and Jason are two, and again, Ash Williams is a very iconic character. And Ash can literally just be dropped into any uh, environment. Like literally, 
uh, what was it? Uh, there was the Army of Darkness versus Marvel Zombies uh, comic book series where he literally dropped into the, the Marvel universe and somehow it worked. You know, it's an odd pairing to do, like Ash Williams against, like, a sense of the Marvel Zombies, but somehow it works. But from a film standpoint, what worked about the concept against Freddy, Jason, and Ash essentially kicking ass against each other? Right. Oh, I for the same reason I don't find the Marvel Zombies thing to be an odd concept to me. That's a really natural fit. Yeah. Uh, you know, this this was pretty. You know, if you're going to bring a third character in, all right, like you have Michael Myers, but like I love Halloween. I love those, but like they don't fit. They're not the same tone as Freddy and Jason. You can't find me a Halloween fan that honestly thinks they're the same tone of thing. Michael's a different type of killer. Those movies are a different type of tone. Uh, he also doesn't speak, so it's another yeah. character that doesn't talk. It just would not. And I like we tried to get Michael at New Line. We tried very hard. We had a movie we wanted to make. It, was, it would have been awesome. Uh, and Malik was interested, but hmm. it was a situation where the Weinstein's they kept coming close to the deadline where they had to make a movie or something, or they'd lose it and they'd make it. So we tried. Yeah. We tried two or three times to get it. We had a take that we liked to do Halloween. Uh, that Malik was into, because Malik and I go way back. Uh, quite like him, I knew his dad a little bit before he passed. Um, and I, I, the, 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 at some point, if you remind me, I'll tell you the Halloween thing we were going to do. But they, anyway, yeah, 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 I actually uh, wanted to bring that uh, up. Later. So anyway, well, so, so no. So for Ash, you had a fucking, he's a good guy. So, I mean, first of all, like, there are no other really iconic good guys of that era, really. Yeah. Uh, in the same mode. Uh, second, they had DVD back then, huge. So Evil Dead, Army Dogs. I, I knew the Anchor Bay guys. I knew Steve Zandelberg and Steve Storm. I grew up with them. They're family friends from Detroit. I knew the business those things had been doing. The late Jay Douglas, no longer with us as well. Like, like I knew how much money Anchor Bay was making. That launched Anchor Bay's entire genre division, those Evil Dead re, uh, remastered DVDs. So I was very aware of that. And that Bruce was bubbling up, and if he went to conventions, there was ash shit all over the place. And it was oh, like, yeah. At the fan level, it was just one of, I, had, I, I will give myself enough credit to say I had my finger on the pulse at that point of the audience, because I was the audience. And so it just was a no-brainer. And all it really took was educating the executive committee at New Line. And let me tell you, it was not hard to do. They were quite oh, yeah. open and once you understood once they understood the math, and obviously Bob knew the connection, it was not hard to convince them. And I had a, I had a proposal, a treatment. All of these things are online somewhere at this point. I know people can find them. Oh, yeah. uh, and, and got it sold to where they want to do it. Now, speaking, now going into the, the Freddie versus Jason versus Ass comic, was it easy to transition into what you had originally wrote for a film into the comic book? Yeah, I mean, on the first one, so I had been writing Booster Gold for DC, and that book had done well and was pretty well regarded. Um, and, you know, I think has had, had sort of reinvented the character to where he's still kind of in the mode of what we did. Um, and so that book had done well. And uh, because I was already in the sort of DC Wildstorm family because of Booster, it just was a really natural thing, ultimately, to take the existing treatment and port it over. And so you know, between Wildstorm and, and, you know, who are underneath DC and then Nick Barucci over at Dynamite, who's a great dude, and they had the Army of Darkness rights. It was very easy to do. Um, and ultimately, like on the first book, 
they just had James Kuhorek, who's a great guy, come in and adapt, adapt the treatment. On the second book, uh, I got to basically go off, and I think I, I should have to go back and look. No, I think he did actually do the same on the second. Sa- Is that horrifying that these things have blurred at this point? Or I'm like, I don't remember how that worked. But basically, um, you know, the first one's a pretty straight i mean dialogue is james's in, in that but basically uh it's a pretty straightforward adaptation of the, what the movie would have been hmm. uh it is generally the treatment uh and so they put it out it was if i'm not mistaken it was the number one licensed comic of that year if i recall it did well it's yeah, I, I remember essentially the hype going into Freddy vs. Jason vs. Zastic comic, especially with the fan forums that I was a part of back in the day, well, back in the day, but years ago. And yeah, the hype for either for the comic was just like unprecedentable, unprecedented, there we go, because people were just like, you know, this is like when the 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 fanboy dreams come true, so watch, or, well, not watch, but read essentially what a ideal Freddy versus Jason versus ass thing and sure enough when you do read the comic it is pretty awesome because well you know it follows like the Friday Friday format of bringing the original like two like two survivors being killed off something like that like especially right, you know, Nightmare as well both yeah, Nightmare as well other than like Tommy Jarvis obviously and he'll we obviously yeah. pay him off in the sequel so uh speaking of the sequel uh the nightmare warriors is a very divisive comic so to speak uh what was i did not know it was divisive that's awesome i had no clue that's great uh it's mostly and something about to bring up to is that is the character of freddy that since it goes from in freddy versus jason versus he's only using the uh, the necronomicon to like boost his powers, I believe. I can't remember correctly, but in the Nightman Warriors, he wants to take over the world because naturally, what is the next form of of a dream demon in in the real world? World comp, you know, world domination. I guess uh, people are overthinking it. To be honest with you, it was very simply: if you're going to put together the Avengers, Odaouja, you still there? Yeah, I am. That's my stupid okay. thing. Uh, if if you're going, the entire premise of the book was to bring back all the survivors and put them together as a team, which was like my dream thing to get to do. So in order to, if you're going to put the Avengers together, you need an Avengers level threat. So yeah. that's the only thinking there. Uh, but that's hilarious. I had no idea. I, all I ever see in, because um, I don't ever read reviews, I don't follow any of that shit. I just see these sort of like, um, uh, if you go on like Amazon, I know they're impossible to get uh the black uh, flame novels of what are the black flame novels i don't even know what that is oh for the uh, for, uh, uh back in the uh like after freddy vs jason came out there was like a slew of novels that was both... oh, i've never heard of these oh the yeah they're they very impossible to get they were licensed yeah they were licensed oh no no i was talking about freddy jason ash uh like, oh like, oh okay. no, i've never heard of what are the what are the black so they were like freddy books or what were they yeah they were essentially freddy like like tie-in novels that uh, that took place after freddy versus jason so really? yeah i never heard of that okay yeah and they're you know there was like one novel that has freddy freddy uh getting a uh young protege is like literally called protege and it's him oh, basically wow. hyping him up to become his like i want to say like his Black next series okay i've never heard of this yeah i'm looking at this right now i'm looking at the thank you Nightmare and 
Films.com. And with the Jason, like the Jason books, this camp they get more crazier by itself because one, you have one Jason book hasn't been worshipped to a point of them like having him being brought back to like to be their own god. So it's called like Church of the Divine Psychopath, and they bring him back. Wow. And like, I have no idea about any of this. And oh, there's and another great. I, you know what? Here's my thing, though, dude. Like, this is I I I'm very proud of the fact. That, at, like, because FEJ did well, you have you can newly licensed books go out, or there's still they'll make Freddy versus Jason themed toys, and I still see new stuff getting put out. Like, yeah, I have a shirt somewhere in my uh, storage, together, and it's with the logo from the movie and stuff. So you know, I think that's great. I hope these these books all did great. I've never heard of so Black Flame. It generally does uh, just yeah. Stuff. Never heard of them. Okay, and I believe they also, I believe they also did the Jason X novels too. So yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is how out of the loop I am, unfortunately. But that's fantastic. But back to but back to Freddy vs Jason versus Ass uh, book that you were just it's like. When you said books, I, I I imagine you were talking about the Black Flame, but uh, but yeah, no, no all good. So yeah, uh, the Nightmare Warriors is you you do set up the whole notion of the Avengers of horror, at least in in the sense of for, uh, Nightmare characters and Friday characters. You know, you have Tommy Jarvis, you have Alice, you have there, you know, you have Stephanie, you have uh, uh, my uh, Jacob Johnson, you have a couple other characters. You even bring back, I believe, Neil Gordon. Yes, oh yeah, I love that. In fact, it's oddly enough, I just watched about a half an hour of Body Double uh, last night because it was six ninety nine on iTunes last week. So I picked up the Craig Craig Lawson's other uh, excellent. I always liked that character. Always, I Dream Warriors. I love. Yeah, so that's I'm not. That's not exclusive. Yeah, um, in hindsight, Dream the Dream Powers. I kind of like. Hope that they that you know kind of like expand more of especially if you just watch that was why it was in a lot of again it's not an accident that this book was the nightmare warriors yeah it's not an accident that a bunch of stuff established really in three and a little more also in four at some level but i love three um it's those you know those are very intentional Uh, yeah uh, it's you know to the point that also like the end of the book is quite literal because you got to remember the whole point is that you're trying to tie. I knew wrapping my thing up, right? So yeah. if Freddy versus Jason is uh, part one of a, of a of the versus sort of end of their two series, uh, and the other thing you got to remember with Ash is that the Necronomicon is in Jason goes to hell, so it was already right. So yeah. it was already in there as a natural story in for people to join those worlds. So. Uh, because of all of that, and because I'm like, at the time, you don't know that Ash is ever going to have a, sh- a show on stars or whatever, right? Yeah. I have this, it's like, okay, I'm in this unique situation where I get to come up with a story to try to, you know, tie them all up. Uh, you know, I, that was, I think, one of those situations where, you know, at the time we tried to compare it. I don't know if you ever, how much, how much you read comic wise outside of this, but there was an event as a kid uh, when I was a kid. That was really kind of the the mother of them, called Crisis on yeah. Infinite Earths. Uh, and so the idea was to kind of do a crisis level story, and you can't do there you can't do crisis level if it's oh they're killing kids in Springwood or Crystal Lake. Have, yeah. You know, so I'm totally cool if it's divisive. I kind of dig that in this case, yeah. but I think also like there's enough there 
uh, fan service wise that I feel like there's got to you know you'll find something in it for you. Now one now one of the things that uh, that always struck me weirdly was the the writing of Cat Kruger or Catherine. I, I agree. It's my, biggest, it's my biggest issue with the book, as a matter of fact. Yeah, is that essentially Cat? Yeah, like Cat. The turn, the turn. I agree. The turn is not well executed, uh, and it just is one of those like it's what you know. I, I, I love to like it's weird. Like with Booster Gold, we're in a situation where Jeff Johns and I would literally be like you're going to take these fifteen pages or whatever twelve pages. I'm going to take these twelve. Uh, in this case, you're writing a story, a treatment, and having it adapted, and then I can give some notes, but it's a slightly different process. Yeah, I think James at some level would probably agree that like that is the thing that probably needed the most TLC that didn't get it in terms of managing the character because the idea was more of a subtle like um, as written originally the idea was much more of a longer term um, sort of mental game having been played to where her ultimate breaking would have been a bit more something would have been in a movie it would be much clearer something was a little off. Yeah, before the actual turn is yeah. what it is. I, I can't argue with you. Yeah, uh, it, it's like the most weirdest but, thing is that you know you have Freddy Krueger and and he's essentially and the most like this like you would think it's like how could Freddy Krueger top being as disgusting as he could as as disgusting as he could, and then you get to the point where he's able to essentially seduce his own daughter into helping. Yeah, see, that's not again like. I, that's not, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's not what, at least in terms of the treatment, what the idea was. So I mean, one I, of those things where if I had, if I had it to do over and had a little bit more like, hey, yes, no, I would do it. Like, I, and aside from, aside from the daughter thing, I could legitimately see Freddy Krueger seducing someone into helping him. And, you know, it's not very far of him to actually do that, you know? Yeah, I don't, I and, don't think and, the idea wasn't that he like slept with his daughter. To be clear, I just she's in like a really like kind of there's like that weird creepy panel if I remember correctly. And again, to be clear, I haven't looked at it in fucking years. Yeah. Uh, but if I know what you're talking about because I remember it because uh, I remember the time being like, no, that's not what I meant. Uh, but you know, again, I, there's, there's certain things you can control, certain things you can't. Yeah, I can I can imagine that show, uh, and I, I would imagine like. And this is something I talked to uh, previously with Jeff Farber, who wrote, I mean, you know, who comically, I mean, who wrote for DC and has is the exec producer for Supergirl. And I mentioned, like, you know, trying to write a thing and then the editor being like, oh, you know, I imagined, like, one it's not of even the-, the editor. It's not your pencils could come in differently, though the, they could be. In the case of the second book, uh, we had a lot of issues getting art in on time. So they had to come in and bring in a couple other extra guys to fill in. And it was a real issue. Hmm. And so I think that probably was the real, I have to go back and look at the panel to tell you if it was the original artist or not. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was a case for just the, you know, uh, the, the extra artist, the guest artist, because I think there were two or three, read it one way and interpreted it. And, that's how they put it, you know. You know, because yeah, that, yeah. That was, I mean, the, first, the first book was the same art throughout, and the second, yeah. I don't remember what happened. He ran into some family issues or something, and they ended up having to about halfway through bring in some people to make up the stuff that wasn't in. So uh, that's my guess, but I'd have 
look at it again. Now, speaking of our, I will say that the uh, the Jason human element thing that comes into play where he does look like like he has like a normal face and whatnot, it actually does look pretty impressive considering, you know, uh, you know, it's supposed to be a necrom- uh, necromantic uh, spell and whatnot. Uh, when you were, when that was coming up, did you figure out, oh, you know, have Freddy uh, cast some spell to make Jason look normal? It, was that just like... Yeah, that a- was in the treatment originally. I'm trying, the promise of normalizing him was, I actually have to go and find, like, the original treatment I have up on my, like, bookcase still. The second one, because that was from the movie. The yeah. second one, I actually have to go through my emails and find it i actually would love to go back and reread it uh because i have not looked at any i'm weird like i don't watch every now and then like i don't have cable really anymore i get it for football season that's about it yeah Uh, so i have sling right now just for like uh, red zone channel but Hmm. like back in the day i'd flip through it if like on tnt or tbs if like snakes on a plane or or shoot shoot them up would be on usa at one point like yeah i'll watch it for like a minute or two but I don't really, once a movie's done, I go opening weekend and I theater hop and watch like 10 or 15 minutes of it with audiences and different parts just because I love that experience. Uh, and then I never watch it again. <laughs> I'm really weird. I, I haven't read Booster Gold since it came out. And, you know, and that's been pretty well regarded. I have not looked at the, I did a signing before I moved to New York for the FVJ uh, VA comics. So I looked at those for the first time in a while, but like, yeah, it's really weird. I just don't, it's, there are people I know who kind of certainly get off on it. I just am not that guy. I, all I see is the stuff that drives me crazy. I see the, oh, I hate that ADR. Oh, I hate that guy. Or, yeah. yeah. That's the, oh, that, that the CG looks terrible. Uh, yeah. That's the shit that I just, just so I'm just, it drives me up the wall. So I can't do it. Um, but it, you know, listen, like it's, as someone who grew up as a fan of all of this shit, and I mean, I, again, you're a fan of it, so you get yeah. it. Like, to get to go and end up in a situation where, like, you know, at eight years old, I'm writing the head of the Nightmare on Elm Street studio to maybe get to someday make an Elm Street movie, and the next thing I know, I'm making my, I'm getting my, I'm being made as a made man on Freddy vs. Jason, and then my sequel incorporating Ash and my old next-door neighbor, Sam Raimi, becomes a thing and then okay i get to do another sequel to that and now i get to use tommy jarvis a character i love and these other like i get to kill off alice i get to like like i just it's fucking crazy and so i'm just very the idea that these things are out in the world and that like i i did i came late to the idea i had no idea that like on youtube if you search freddy versus jason versus sash there's a ton of shit yeah i had no idea Okay, up until a few years, I would keep getting an email from somebody, and then someone sent me, hey, there's a, uh, again, another one of those, like, top 10 things that haven't been, that almost got made, but didn't, whatever. And then next thing I took, I'll take a flyer and go search. There's a ton of stuff. People, like, animated the comics, all sorts of shit. So, to me, that, A, that's a thrill, but also, like, I do think that eventually what you might see, depending in terms of guys being alive, is it maybe eventually going to be animated as like an HBO Max thing? Yeah, I could see happening because um, I think there's some enough mutual business being done. Oh yeah, and and the uh, and, and the sad fact that there hasn't been a 
Freddy movie or Jason movie in essentially over 10 years. Well, and, the rights are all fucked well, up. Yeah. I, I believe because this would be sequelizing the, I, I'm not mistaken, I think they could technically adapt. And I, I believe I'd have to, I'll, I have to talk to Warner Brothers Business Affairs, but I think there's a way to be able to do the existing comic probably as an animated still. Yeah. Uh, now, so, anyway. With the, yeah, with the, uh, with, with the advantages of how, because superhero mediums now is very everywhere. You know, I have Avengers, you have DC, you have uh, Marvel doing their- uh, it's very, very oversaturated. I yeah. Now, if you had if, told me as a kid, this would be the case and I would be sick of it, I would have laughed at you and now I'm really sick of it, so. Yeah, but do you think that if the Freddy vs. Jason versus Ass uh, comic was adapted into like a like a two hour animated film or half an hour animated film, I'm not sure how animated how, film. How you know, ninety minute. Yeah, ninety minute half uh, ninety minute thing. Would they still adapt? Would they essentially go through the best parts, or would they just go through the entire comic because it fits essentially ninety minutes overall? I mean, I don't fucking know. I think the idea probably would be that you you have the original treatment. The original treatment was successfully turned into a comic and sequelized. So my guess is probably take the original treatment and just have someone adapt it. But I don't know. I mean, that's it's Hollywood. They could come in and say they want to make it into a uh, uh, a musical for China. You know, it's hmm. that's it's a stupid business and getting stupider by the day. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's uh, as much as I could ask about Freddy Jason, especially with the. I, mean, I think though, would you like if you if you look at comics, you look at like DC, really like really quick. They, yeah. DC Comics puts out. Um, I've, I haven't even seen them. I just know from looking at iTunes because that's where I build my movie collection. They just put out. Um, I think they did Batman: The Long Halloween. They do a bunch of animated. Yeah. Ass right with some names. Yeah. So there's no way that if you did Freddy Jason versus Ash. With Bruce and 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 Robert, uh, in that format, like that would make money. There's no oh, way. Yeah. And I imagine, uh, and uh, what's it called? Mortal Kombat is doing the same thing, uh, similarly with uh, their own version of like radar movies. I mean, I mean not well radar movies itself, but radar animated movies. So I imagine like more adult theme R rated that as well. Okay. okay. Huh? What happened? Oh, you're breaking up a little bit. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, I can hear you. That might have been... There you go. Okay, sorry. Uh, yeah, I imagine nowadays to do a adult-themed Raid R comic... Or, I mean, a Raid R animated movie would be quite easy because you can do, do a lot. All the time. They do them all the time. They just Again, you're doing it for DVD. Per, the world's changed, so you put these yeah. things out on streaming, and, you know, it, it's, it's just... You know the audience would go in that way. Now, here's the here's a good question though. Would you prefer it to be a ninety minute movie or a six episode uh, cartoon thing akin to like Invincible? No, I think you're probably better off just doing it as a straight ninety. I, I, the DC Direct model seems to be successful for them, and to me given that this is technically within the DC family through Wildstorm, which has been absorbed since, obviously in partnership with Dynamite. Yeah. I think that you, again, like if you wanted to make it for something to fans to binge 
after they watch the either Fridays or the Nightmares, they just do Freddy versus Jason. Why would you fuck with the format? I think oh, yeah. it, keep it simple, stupid is one of my favorite <laughs> philosophies. I learned it in like eighth grade or six, six or six or somewhere in middle school. Uh, and I think it, uh, it's a, the right way to go with this. Don't, don't overthink it. Oh, yeah. Uh, now, you just mentioned you mentioned the Halloween before and you were going to do. Uh, I looked it up last night. I think it's called the Mark of Thor comic or something like, along like that. Was that your original intention to do? A I Halloween? did. No, I actually that's right. I did get asked to do a Halloween thing. I don't remember what that's. I, I hadn't thought about that in years. Uh, but no, that was a separate thing that I got. And I'm, I think I haven't thought of that in years. Wow, that's crazy. So yes, that was that was a separate thing. We tried. I love again. I love all of these movies. I grew up on all of them. Uh, I think you, clearly you've had two of these conversations with me. Like clearly, I'm not fake. I do know. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, yeah. not not the same today. I can't tell you about the Conjuring or any of that shit. Like I just might have friends who work on it, but like I just don't. I'm, I know. I know my power zone. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> and so Halloween is firmly in my power zone. Uh, I did think the last movie was pretty overrated. Uh, I had a lot of issues with it, but um, I love Malik, who's a great guy. Uh, and I love Michael Myers. And I just love, and, and to be honest, Michael was the one who always scared me the most. Oh, yeah. Because uh, it's just the blank face and the, the emptiness of it. If Freddie was campy by the end, Jason's kills were over the top by the end. Michael was always kind of, even at its in the lesser movies, consistent. Yes, it's kind of this, you, know, you could project a lot into that William Shatner mask, and so always loved the character, always wanted to do something with him. Uh, and so what we talked about doing, um, and what's ironic is at one point David Gordon Green and I talked about doing a horror movie at New Line because he was always interested in doing horror stuff, and I liked David a lot. Um, uh, was to try to do, I love revenge movies. I'm yeah. a big fan of, I love old Mike Hodges. I love Get Carter. I love The Liony. I love all that shit. So what we talked about doing and that Bob and Toby were on board, if we'd gotten the rights, and again, the Weinsteins always played this game. They did it a, yeah. multiple times as Malik will be, I'm sure happy to tell anybody now that he's no longer there, um, where they would like tease that they would let it go and then at the last second find a way to keep it. Uh, yeah. So what we were going to do had we gotten it <clears throat> was basically do a movie where um, we know that like, you know, the one of my issues with the new movie, the last movie was getting rid of the brother and sister shit because like, otherwise, what is what is she afraid of? This thing happened fucking 40 years ago. Why does she think he's coming back? If you get rid of Halloween 2 and the family connection, like, are you crazy? Why does the town think he's coming back after 40 years? Why is he like a lot of this stuff makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, and so going back at that point, the family dynamic was a really essential part of Halloween. And so in the same way that like Michael Myers was obviously the very bad seed and then some uh, to Laurie Strode's good seed, so to speak. Uh, I love Donald Pleasance. I love his Halloween work, his non-Halloween work. I'm a big fan of him as an actor. The idea was that, okay, Donald Pleasance, who was dead at this point, obviously, uh, was the good seed in his family. He was, you know, Dr. Loomis. He tried to help people. He tried to redeem Michael Myers. 
the part of the reason he tried to redeem Michael Myers was because he came from a family with its own bad seed. Hmm. And the bad seed would have been ideally Terrence Stamp was who he wanted. No, oh, really? And that guy, Terrence Stamp, was going to get out of prison after many years. And as, as one for being a very bad guy, not sure necessarily what, but had hurt people. Uh, and basically, in his one act of redemption, was going to go try to finish off his brother's great white whale. Oh, that, that would have been interesting. Halloween and Louis still would have had a group of kids caught in the middle. And that would have been part of his ultimate redemption. Uh, probably with him still dying to take out Michael, most likely, but we don't know for sure. But yeah. the idea of having a replacement Loomis figure who's a bad motherfucker in a way that like Terrence Stamp or maybe a Brian Cox back up, like a cool, different type of thing to where it would have just been a very, because my, my big thing was always like, we've seen the virginal whatever so many times. Like, yeah. We've seen this. And there's a reason why we wanted to bring in Ash was let's have a good guy. If we're going to kill them, the only people that will ever, the only way fans will ever accept them being killed is by someone they respect and they respect Ash. And so this was an idea of like, you know, you're not going to kill off Mike who's going to come back eventually, I'm sure. But it would have just given you a totally different dynamic. It would have been the first one of these movies, I think, to have been. It's like in how in in, in Jason four in Friday four in the final chapter, the brother character who's coming to hunt Jason. I always loved that bit in that movie. Yeah, I always thought that was cool. Oh and my so, god, he's killing me. He's actually. I love that. It fucked me up. Um, but I love that as a character. Uh, yeah. And the, the only thing that interests me about the new Halloween is I've, I know Anthony Michael Hall a little bit socially. Uh, and I love the idea of him like going for revenge, although I'm sure he's going to get killed. Um, but like, yeah, I would have like c- cigarette smoking Terrence Stamp coming back to lay some traps and on Halloween try to lure Michael back to fucking finish him off. I think could have been interesting. Now, that was your now, would that be the same thing from the comic or uh, the comic? No, no, I don't even remember what the, the comic I think had like, I don't remember what the assignment was. It's been so long. No, this was a new, the comic I was already at Fox at this point. This was back when I was at New Line. Yeah, sorry, I'm having a little problem with my. Uh, uh, so yes, uh, when you were finishing up at New Line, uh, you you did two last films, which were Snakes on a Plane and Shoot 'Em Up, right? Or did you do yeah, more? I did. I was in a movie called Normal Adolescent Behavior that's on like Lifetime and HBO Max occasionally. Yes. Huh. Uh, I very vividly remember Snakes on a Plane being essentially, if not one of the first meme movies, because, you know, there was it, it was originally going to be like this very generic title, and then Samuel L. Jackson came in and saved the movie. Because, no, 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 incorrect. It was originally oh. Snakes on a Plane. They were going to try to change the title. Uh, the urban legend is that Sam came in and said that originally his team was not sure on the title but ultimately i sam of course we all figured that no 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 it's, it's no 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 they tried to change it to pacific air one flight 120 which is terrible um but it was it was a crazy it was an awesome thing to get to be a part of um it's in the museum of modern arts permanent collection it was you know spoofed at the oscars kanye put it in the song and won a grammy so like that's another one where like it continues to get reference it continue i um I got sent a thing. What happened? Something in politics. Within the last couple of months, somebody sent me a thing. I'm trying to remember what happened, but it was snakes on a plane caption. So it's, yeah, I and mean, that's kind of my point about all this. Like, I've, been, I've been really lucky to get to do some of these things that like, you know, it's still referenced. It's, it's, cause like a lot of times, 
the movies are it's a weird business you go make something it could cost a hundred million dollars and it comes out opening weekend and it's like a wet fart and no one ever thinks about it again you know when was the last time you thought about um i'm trying to give an example the bruce willis movie surrogates uh oddly enough maybe a couple of months ago well either a couple of months ago or just a few weeks ago because i was just watching a movie about not movie, but like a review of all these recent Bruce Willis movies that he's okay. been doing. Okay, not been spurred by seeing it mentioned or whatever. Yeah, right? it's not something that's popped into your mind, is it? No, not really. Right. So that movie, I'm sure, cost you know sixty million. It was like imagine going, and it's not a knock on anybody. I liked the comic, as a matter of fact, that's why it came to mind. But like, I. Uh, you know, it's imagine going and working on that and like having it just disappear into the ether, kind of. Uh, not to say I'm sure there are hardcore surrogates fans out there. I'm not trying to offend yeah. anybody, but like, um, but are there? Even like shoot 'em up, like shoot 'em up underperformed theatrically, but like it did a great cable run. And even like I got sent an article, um, the Aerosmith, they watch it before they go on stage all the time, apparently. Hmm. Like, that's fucking cool. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Uh, I Joe Perry wrote some article about it. So I, that's kind of my thing, man, is like, I always tried to do the job with the idea that, I, you know, I tried to make stuff that could get me fired. Um, <laughs> because it meant that you were at least taking some risk. Um, and I do, I look back at that and it's like, you know, I, I didn't make high art. Uh, and even the stuff I'm, you know, I'm going to go this movie for Sony now coming out, like, like it's not high art, but I do kind of, I get a kick out of the fact that there are still people like, like Freddie Jason, Freddie versus Jason's going to run on cable till the end of time. Yeah. It's crazy. So I have, it's like, it's, 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 it's very, it's very flattering as someone who grew up on all this stuff to get to have gotten to do, you know, this. I, I will so, say that uh, Shoot 'em Up is a very highly underrated movie, and it's got a very nice fan base, man. I yeah. can't really complain. It's been clearly built a nice little cult. Uh, yeah, uh, and I am one of them, and one of the members of that cult. Well, not cult, but you know, I am one of the fa fa I am one of the big fans of of that movie. Is it's it's because it like it seems to mash not only the video game like atmosphere but it has this very very goof like what you were sort of for it it's not it's not exactly high art but it's like one of those movies that you just watch for like maybe 90 minutes or so enjoy yourself just unwrap your mind it has no i look at it as a comedy i mean i'm yeah it is a I'm good comedy weird. i when i watch horror movies a lot of the time this is part of the reason why i don't relate to a lot of modern horror i always liked horror movies because i would laugh at them. I, I like and i don't mean that as an insult because i love this girl but i'd laugh my ass off a lot of the time i that's half the fun that was my cathartic way of dealing with, with horror uh and i i like it in action a lot i i just you know i had the great honor of spending a year on set working with dick donner the late great dick donner who just passed away who was a real mentor to me and one thing about Dick is like, go back and look at that guy's career. And I was, I was talking about this to, with uh, a mutual friend right after he passed away. Uh, because I think I look at my own taste and the stuff I tried to do. And he really was an influence I didn't fully understand until later. Like The Omen, Superman, Lethal Weapon, Scrooge, like just, Run the Twilight Zone, the, the terror at 30,000 feet. That's him. 
uh, runs the fucking gamut. Goonies. Yeah. Okay? Runs the gamut. Can do everything, but there is a sense of fun and a twinkle in the eye in everything he does that to me is like, that's movie magic. And those rare moments, and, I, and again, I, I've never gotten it all the way right, but every one of them's got a moment or two that to me capture those moments. Like, I see that, like, that's what I look at. Like, again, those are what I take from those times in opening weekend where I would go theater hop, is watching a crowd react to like, in shoot them up, there's a scene where you think he's run over the baby <laughs> and, it's, and he's not. Yes. And, and seeing eyes going, oh my God. Because by that point, we've done enough crazy shit where audiences for a millisecond are willing to believe that we might, or the sex scene, which always got a big response. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, like, yeah, like those are, those are, I look at those now as like Dick Donner moments. Uh, and I think the fun is that I'm like, I'm going to go off and do this, uh, this movie at Sony, this exorcism movie in Spain and the hmm. challenge there given, you know, obviously, you know, Dick did the omen, which we, we've certainly nodded to a little bit in it, um, is to try to find those moments again. Um, and I do think that like for anybody that watches this, that's interested in filmmaking, Dick's filmography is really something to go and study and look at. If you want, you have very few filmmakers, this fleet of foot to move within genres with the level of success, making classics at, I mean, you name the subgenre. It's really impressive. Yeah, it's its weird because, you know, Richard Donner, Steven Spielberg, and probably a few others have this very quality of just making movie magic. It doesn't matter uh, like what type of, uh, like a few weeks ago, I was you wanna just- know why, you, want, you wanna know why? And it ties why? in with what we've talked about. And I know this because Dick told me this story. So Dick, uh, Spielberg calls Dick to try to get him to direct the Goonies. Yeah. And by this point, I don't know how Dick's like in his 50s at this point, probably maybe in the 60s at this point, 50s, I think. And, you know, he had met his wife, Lauren, Lauren Schuler Donner on Lady Hawk, uh, which is an underrated movie. You've never seen it. Uh, and also the name of his boat. Uh, and Dick basically says to Spielberg, he's like, listen, this is, a, you know, this is a, a kid's adventure. I'm a whatever, 50 something, 60 year old man. Like what, you know, why me? And Spielberg said, you know, Dick, I need someone who can direct this movie that is a bigger kid than I am. And that's the, George Lucas, the people that, the people that find Guillermo's got this, um, the big kid pieces, the longer they're able to hold on, it doesn't last forever. And I think, Spielberg eventually lost it too. Uh, but when you have it, all right, John Carpenter, when you have it, okay, uh, and John Carpenter's kid's a little more cynical, but it was there. Uh, we all know the filmmakers who, who had it. Um, when you have it, like that, that, that childlike sense of, you know, I had a boss, Tom Rothman, one of the smartest things I ever heard in Hollywood, said, the way you know a movie star is when you see them on the big screen, when they smile, you smile. And that's fucking right. Think about every legitimate movie star who's a box office draw. Legitimate, not fake movie star, legitimate draw. Going back to silent movies, it's true. Iconic smiles almost. Tom Cruise, Will Smith, Julia Roberts, Humphrey Bogart, McCall, 
I, just go through the it's it's fucking true. Yeah, and Sean Connery. It is true, and and it's there is, you know, these things that are primal. They are they we you can't necessarily quantify them. The people who can stay in touch with that while navigating the corporate bullshit, those are the those are the good ones. Those are the filmmakers yeah. you, you gotta support. Now you just mentioned Tom Rothman, and I know you were how long were you part of 20th Century Fox? Was, was it just Fox for basically a couple of years? Uh, and probably at most notable at this point for a dead for bringing Deadpool over, which oh, originally started nice. started with us. I cast Ryan in that role. So that's at this point probably my biggest contribution to the business <laughs> in the box office. Uh, and that really started at New Line with Fe Kevin Feige and I wanting to do Deadpool. And Deadpool was one of those where the rights were available. Uh, and basically, uh, we were going to try to swing out of Blade Trinity and do it there. Uh, and then as it happened, when I jumped to Fox, I was able to bring it over. Uh, and ultimately, frankly, quit my job over it because I got really frustrated with what they had done. And I was like, no, don't do this. Uh, but you know, it's proven correct. Uh, and now I'm working with Tom over at Sony on the Father Amorth movie. So it's it's hilarious how this stuff works. Um, but I also like it. Also speaks to like why you try to maintain good relationships with people. Oh yeah. And even if even though I wanted to leave, I never badmouthed them. I always had positive things to say about my experience because I was Fox was like going to grad school. Fox was like. You go. I love New Line. I will always be identified as a New Line guy, and I, that sort of renegade spirit. But you go to Fox, and you would be like, "This is what a real movie studio how they act." Like New Line would take forty million dollars in a marketing budget, and they would spend it dipping and dunking using sort of, in football terms, like West Coast offense, uh, um, short passes basically on cable television. They'd blanket cable. Fox would take the same $40 million and they would nuke American Idol in, once in a way that was more effective. It was, hmm. it was, I learned so much. I'm so grateful for my time. Like I, the, I, I really, I enjoyed it. My fight, my argument with them was ultimately over like, you hired me to be the comic book guy and now you're not listening to me on uh, an important comic book thing, which I was proven correct on it. And by the way, yeah. to their credit, they have since said as much. Um, but I, uh, I learned more about the, like, okay, so get an example. So we're doing this movie now and I gave this note and it's funny because Steve Bursch, the head of the division that we're working with, it was also at Fox back in the day. So he knows this, uh, when you're developing these movies, you, you always, you want to have five moments that are original or that are sort of for materials trailer moments to put it in sort of layman's term yeah so there are five moments that you know are being pulled for every fucking trailer every commercial etc so like wolverine a lot of issues but that michael jordan shot of him going into the helicopter was in every fucking spot intentionally yeah. so okay so it is you look at fox stuff of that era or look at sony now today where where tom is now like you can find it as a general rule. Every studio has a variation of it. So I, those sort of lessons were not lessons you would get. Like at New Line, like Fox allowed me to go run a movie on set, a $160 million movie on set for the bulk of the year on no notice, basically, uh, thrown right into that fire. 
and to get an experience that like mo- none of my peers, most executives have not done that. Uh, yeah. And so, so certainly at New Line, no, because that's just not how New Line was run. So yeah. that was really, I just, I've, that, so I'd also just like to get there and you're sitting there doing that at the knee of Dick Donner, like, come fucking on. Like, you gotta be kidding me. Uh, and we would go sit in his trailer and like, Dick hadn't seen Maverick since it had originally come out. Uh, and so Derek Hoffman, who worked for him, was a great guy. And I, we grabbed dinner, sitting on Cockatoo Island in the middle of Australia, in the middle of the night on night shoots. And we watched Maverick with him and he gave us a running audio commentary live. And it was great. It was also a very underrated movie. Oh, it very is. Underrated movie. James Garner, spectacular in that movie. Um, so I just, I've been really lucky, man. I, you know, I can't really complain, but I got about 10 minutes or so, 15 minutes. I got to start. Oh yeah. I was about to wrap it up anyway. Uh, so I only have like three more last questions. That's very, very obvious. Uh, first question to those who are actually going into filmmaking or film or some sort of general sense of going into the film industry, what type of advice do you have, especially if they're just starting out, like say as a uh, runner or, like you know yeah like a runner or just like they're just or a production assistant that so far and so on right it's a crazy time it's never been crazier it's going to only get crazier i think just the reality is the world we live in is changing how we consume our media is changing so it's like i i used to um my buddy sam brown who was an executive new line who now is over stx we would speak together at usc at the peter stark producing program every year and I would always, it was hilarious because he went to Harvard and I'm a college dropout. And it was a nice sort of counter of how many ways. The point was there are no set rules, right? It's the wild west. Yeah. That's only more so the case now. And frankly, like I, I would actually, I don't, I encourage people to not go to film school because the money you're going to spend on it, you could go make a movie at this point. Like, why would you do, you could make a movie, take that movie to AFM and start building a library, right? Yeah. So I would encourage people to embrace the wild west element a little bit, but really practically speaking, Cultivate a niche. Um, in my case, I was sort of the genre. Like every studio now has a Jeff Katz. For a, there was a period where literally they'd be like, "We need a Jeff Katz," which is fucking ridiculous uh, to think of, think of. But like that was actually said at places where I had garnered enough of a reputation as like I get genre, I get comic books, I get Comic Con that audience because I I was authentically of them, right? Yeah. So. Uh, Every studio at a point because of where the marketplace shifted now needs someone who covers that space. So in my case, that was my niche and it was true to who I was, but it also allowed me to expand beyond to go to it. Like I had Dave Chappelle's first movie coming off Chappelle's show that he was going to do. Like I got to do other stuff well beyond, you know, but like in politics, I won the primary by playing to my base. And then in the general, I moved to the middle you can't move to the middle until you've captured the primary. And so yeah. whether it's comedy, horror, you want to be in theater, whatever the fuck it is, I would try to cultivate that that niche originally as a starting point, build relationships in there, and then relationships are currency. So you want to maintain those relationships and you never know where they're going to take you. It's not, a, it's not an accident that a lot of actors show up in the same people's stuff or you know the crossovers. There are small, the world gets smaller and smaller as you move up through the business. Um, as attrition sort of weeds people out. And so I think that's probably the smartest, most practical advice I can give to somebody because it's achievable. Everyone's got a thing they're passionate about or a thing that like figure out the business application of how to use that niche because it's also going to give you credibility when you speak. 
my second question is relates back to the project we were just talking about. Uh, do you have any upcoming projects that you talk about, not in yeah. like full yeah. detail, but just like a very short detail? Like yeah, absolutely. Thing. So we'll, um, so we, it's pretty crazy. We ended up making a deal uh, in partnership with the Vatican, no less, who have been very good partners, which is good. As a Jew, hilarious. I guess I'm partnered with the Vatican, um, but they've been very good partners. Uh, and we are adapting the Father Amorth, Gabriel Amorth series of books for Sony, uh, which are, you know, have sold millions of copies. Uh, and so the first movie, I believe, is going to end up being called The Pope's Exorcist. Hmm. And I think hmm. we are likely going to be shooting this. We are on pace to be shooting this summer in Spain. So we're about, the script is about a re right and polish away we're all happy sony's happy uh and it's a big priority for them because it's a you know moderately priced genre piece it's got a big role for an actor uh and also has i think we, we think some appeal obviously in sort of the catholic and latin speaking countries and our hope is to be able to use it to do local language spin-offs all sorts of stuff like they have it's a our deal with them is both in film and tv uh, Sony's made a real sort of investment in the in the IP, and so I think we're all cautiously optimistic. But I think on pace right now, uh, Michael Petroni is doing his rewrite, and we should have that in a few weeks. And then I think probably a polish, and we will be going to casting pretty quickly. We know basically who we want. So oh yeah, of course. And I know that uh, I forgot to mention this previously because when we were talking about wrestling, but you have a YouTube channel that you have been showing old bits and pieces yeah of so you can go to my the youtube uh, wrestling retribution archive which has that it's got the stuff i did from the underground and i will actually because this is going to come out in october right yeah no, uh yeah within the span of like say next month or so so okay cool so by on. the time this comes out uh because it will not have been announced yet, i'm going to be doing a big thing with the reddit uh squared circle guys yeah, uh, in a week or two to sort of a Q&A thing. But yeah. yes, with all the old libraries. So if you're if anyone is a fan of sort of that, it's, it's relatively esoteric. It's But again, um, you know, and I've done audio commentaries. You'll see that you can see the matches straight up, but also some audio commentaries where you'll, I will talk a bit about the parallels in terms of developing for film and wrestling. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and in the case of the underground, uh, which was the secondary piece on there. So Brian Robbins, who was my partner on that, just got named chairman of Paramount. So oh wow, yeah. So it's another one of those where like I've just been very lucky to have gotten to in multiple worlds work with some really talented people. And I think like the older I get, the more I appreciate like you can't take it with you. Uh, and in a lot of ways, the things you leave behind are these you know these experiences and the stuff that that they've made. Uh, and so it's it's. I don't know, that's really a trouble. This is what happens, by the way, once you hit 40. Yeah. Like, oh, I got to start thinking about all of this crap now. It's horrifying. Now, as, aside from the wrestling retribution project, yeah, aside from... Yeah, that's that, up there, then the underground as well. Yeah, aside from that, uh, do you have any other social media that you do want to plug? Not really. I don't really do social media anymore. I'm sort of sick of it. Uh, I'm kind of enjoying my... Uh, low-key life for the most part like i may i have like a twitter that i ne almost never use uh so no i you know i 
there was a point when I was all into all this sort of shit and I very quickly realized life is a lot. I'm becoming a Luddite in my old age at some level. Yeah, I've, I've noticed I'm starting to use uh, social media less and less, but that may, Just, be, because, that, that may so be that may have been because we've been inside of a houses for like a year or so. Then suddenly, I you know, I now have places to go, and you know, I, I just don't want to document all this stuff. I, I mean, I have to be honest with you, I would, I don't envy as someone who lived in New York and loves New York. I would not like. I've been in LA for all this. I've been, I've been outside the entire time. I would be so miserable stuck in New York during this. I do not envy you. Thank uh, you. <laughs> yeah. No, I talk my you know, my ex-girlfriend's still there and I talk to her every day because we co-parent the dog. And uh, I she's one of those like New York could be on fire in the middle of like nuclear winter. And she's like, but it's the best nuclear winter in the world. And I go, like, you're crazy. Uh, crazy, crazy, crazy. Like I just out. LA's got a lot of issues uh, and has its own problems, but and you're already going through a, a recall election just now. Yes, in terms of which, frankly, is you know we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I suspect he'll survive, but in many ways, is deserved as a long-term citizen here. A lot of we have a lot of problems. Um, All right, but on that note, Jeff, thank uh, you for dude, joining. My me. pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, man. I, it's my pleasure doing it. Of course, and take care, everyone. Please be safe and be well. <laughs>